Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the program. Uh, it's a bite of the Big Apple. We're going to take a bite with uh, above the Big Apple with Steve Serby, a longtime uh, columnist in New York, both with the, primarily with the Post, but in between with the Daily News. Steve, uh, I mean, in the business you're in, it's not one sport you're covering. It's multiple sports you're covering. Uh, is that... Um, more advantageous, or would you rather cover one single sport, one single team? Uh, well, I primarily cover football, but uh, I do bounce around. I cover uh, Final Four, March Madness, and I'd rather – that's a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, in the old days, pre-COVID, uh, there was nothing like uh, going from one regional to another and, and enjoying the, uh, the, the pageantry and the – and the survive and advance. There's nothing like that. That final, that March Madness. Nothing like it at all. And uh, and then I bounce around. I do a little baseball. I do a little basketball. And I I, I like I like the freedom to uh, the variety of it. I like uh, uh, the chance to uh, sink my teeth into different sports and different events. And uh, I've sure seen a, a a lot of them over the years. And uh, a lot of I jaw jaw dropping events that you don't that you miss if you cover one sport. So I like I like I like the variety of it. Interestingly enough, in New York, um, college basketball, I guess with the exception of the '80s when the Big East started, is not as uh, as big an item in New York City. Uh, although I'm a big college basketball fan, but yet it's a pro town primarily, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, Syracuse and Syracuse used to claim it was New York's team. St. John's uh, is New York's college basketball team. Uh, Seton Hall has a, uh, creates a lot of buzz. Uh, UConn always packs Madison Square Garden, but uh, yes, it's a pro town. It's the Yankees, Rangers, Knicks, and Mets primarily. Um, so, uh, but still, but still around March, around March with, with the baseball team still in spring training, uh, it can very much be a college basketball town, uh, as long as the teams are good. Uh, you've, uh, you didn't mention the Jets and the Giants. I know you're very big with professional football in this town, but let's deal with the Yankees. Right now they're struggling at the start of the season and typical of New York and having grown up in New York, sometimes we react, sometimes we overreact and everybody's very upset. The Yankees are starting out so slowly, but can we put it in perspective, Steve? It is only April. Yes, it is only April, but, but tell that to the Yankee fans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what, that's what it is in New York. And, and it actually, 
nowadays it's not only in New York, but it's it's Bill Parcells always used to talk about uh, the dynamics in New York as euphoria or disaster, one of the two, no in between. And uh, you know when when expectations are as high as they are for the Yankees, uh, when the Yankees have been knocking on the door to another championship uh, under Aaron Boone now. Um, and they've come so close and come up so short. Uh, it's only, it, it's to be expected that the panic sets in when the team doesn't start 15 and 0 or 14 and 1. Uh, and there were questions about the Yankee rotation at the start of the season that certainly uh, have flared up early this season because after Garrett Cole, you know. Kluber and Tyone are still question marks. So that that concerns Yankee fans, but they're, they're going to hit. The, the main concern, I would think, would be the starting, would be the rotation. Uh, Judge and Stanton and Torres and Sanchez and LeMayhew, that, that lineup is stacked, and I expect them to break out very, very soon. He's Steve Serby of the New York Post. You mentioned Bill Parcells. That leads me to the question, and having been around Bill a lot uh, over, well, since 82 when he was the defensive coordinator with the Giants, he has said a lot of things that uh, people have repeated. Obviously, if you want me to cook the meal, you want me to shop for the groceries and a bunch of other things. Who's cro- Aside from Parcells, who's crossed your path as a columnist in New York that has had an impact on you? Steve, let's talk about the current uh, status uh, or state, I should say, of the football teams in New York. The Giants played in a division that was uh, won by a team with a losing record. The Jets obviously uh, had been dominated for 20 years by the Patriots, last year more by the Buffalo Bills. The Jets made, again, for the second time in three years, a change at quarterback by drafting a quarterback. And it seems they're going to draft Zach Wilson out of BYU. You know, a couple of Jet uh, beat writers that, that I've uh, spoken to. Rich Samini is one. Brian Costello from your paper is another one. Uh, to where they, the two, those two guys in particular had complete opposite opinions. Uh, should the Jets trade Sam Donald? Should they not? Samini said uh, they should trade him. Uh, I, I take it back. Costello said they should trade him. Samini said no, they shouldn't. They should build around him. Where do you stand on that? 
I was in favor of them trading Donald, uh, if for no other reason than, than Donald needed desperately a change of scenery. Um, a new when a new coach and a, a new coach and a new offensive coordinator come in, very often they'll want a quarterback who they believe fits their system better. Now that's not to say Donald could not have fit the system of uh, of Robert Sala, the new coach, and and Mike Lafleur, the new offensive coordinator. But you know, Donald Donald um, was basically ruined during his three years. Two of them under Adam Gates. Adam Gates came in as the supposed quarterback whisperer and. Uh, Apparently, it went in one ear and out the other uh, for Donald. Uh, and Donald did not have a supporting cast around him. So, to me, that was a case study in how to how to ruin a franchise quarterback. Uh, Donald has a lot of qualities you like. I still think uh, he can win if you put the right supporting cast around him. He'll have better support in, in Carolina from from the head coach to the offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, to the talent, to the receiving core around him, and Christian McCaffrey, of course. Uh, but Zach Wilson uh, gives you more of an upside. Now, there's no guarantees, as we know, especially in New York with the Jets and their quarterback situations over the years. But Zach Wilson gives you a better fit, I believe, for that offense. And uh, if he can stay healthy, and that's always a big if, uh, a chance uh, for for greater upside than Darnold exhibited in his three years. Now, Darnold Darnold was was haunted by by poor decision making. He he could not. I like to say he could not rise above the rubble that was around him. And uh, uh, it was time for the Jets. They had to make a decision. They decided, I think, wisely to reset the financial clock at quarterback. You mentioned uh, Bill Parcells before. I asked Bill what his thoughts were on Darnold. He says he thinks he can be a good quarterback. He said, but it would be in his best interest not to be here uh, and to start fresh with a different franchise. This is before the, the deal was done. And, and I said, well, why, do you, why couldn't he stay here? And he said, well... Because it would take another year or two to put enough around him to make him better or to make the situation better. He says, and I don't think that the Jet fans are going to be that patient. And I listened to that reasoning. It made some sense. Uh, I, I look at it from the standpoint of the anytime a franchise doesn't do well, you got to start at the top. Uh, you look at the, the Jets and the decisions that have been made so far as general managers, head coaches, and all the like. And the last seven first-round draft choices they've had are no longer with the franchise. That speaks volumes. Yeah, well, I think, they, uh, I think they've got it right with um, Joe Douglas, uh, who they gave a six-year contract to, and uh, he was wise to uh, seek six years. Um, look, they're, you know, they're, they're in a major rebuild now, and... Uh, the rebuild did not work with uh, Mike McCagnan, uh, Le'Veon Bell. That signing, I thought, I thought at the time it was a good one. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Uh, uh, C.J. Mosley, they gave him a ton of money. He hasn't played uh, because of injury and opt out 
Um, so, yeah, they haven't been able to keep their homegrown talent. Their Jamal Adams wanted out. Leonard Williams, they traded to the Giants, and it looks like they gave up on him too soon. Um, so, yeah, it's time for them, with all the draft picks that Joe Douglas has, uh, they've got to uh, develop these guys and keep them for themselves rather than for someone else. And I think we, and Joe Douglas, I think they finally got it right. Well, not only that, Robert Sala has come in with a lot of uh, praise from people that have been around him before, particularly in San Francisco. Uh, and it's not just the, I mean, a lot of everybody you talk to said, this guy is, this is a good hire by the Jets. Well, we're going to find out. But the fact is, is this much uh, groundswell of support for him? Uh, that, I guess that would be a good thing and a reassuring thing for their fans. Well, yeah, they, he, look, the thing that they needed, what the Jets needed, after after two years of Adam Gase, um, was a leader, a CEO, which is what Joe Judge is for the Giants. And Adam Gase was anything but a leader of men. Uh, and it turned out he was not the offensive guru that uh, Jets fans were thought and were hoping he was. So uh, Stahl was all gas, no break. That's his motto. Hmm. Uh, he, he, um, his energy is infectious, and everyone you talk to uh, in San Francisco, uh, players, writers, they tell you that this guy seems to be a natural-born leader, and that's exactly exactly what the, what the Jets need, and uh, he'll definitely have that defense humming. Uh, now, it, the, the task of course, is to uh, change the culture. Uh, and uh, if you need a forceful personality to do that, and Salah seems to have that. Taking a bite of the Big Apple with Steve Serby of the New York Post, uh, as much of a voice of the New York sports scene as anybody. Uh, let's go to the other side of MetLife Stadium with the Giants. Uh, they added Galloway to, uh, to reinforce their wide receiver core. Uh, they've... Uh, uh, they'll get Saquon Barkley back, which is a big deal. Uh, they probably could use another weapon or two. But do you think that this is a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones, or am I being too quick on the trigger? Well, if he, if he regresses, he, the answer is yes. I mean, this is his third year. Like you said, Saquon Barkley comes back healthy, hopefully, uh, for the Giants' sake. Galladay gives him that big possession receiver uh, that Eli Manning welcomed with practical Burris. Uh, that's exactly what they needed because uh, there was Sterling Shepard is 5'10", 5'11". Darius Slayton is 6'1", but uh, they needed that 6'3", that 6'4", receiver who Daniel Jones can throw open. Uh, just get the ball in that area, and with his catch rate radius, uh, he'll be able to, to, to bring it down. Um, so, yeah, it, it's his third year. He, he regressed somewhat in his second year, but this is now his second year in Jason Garrett's offense. There, there are no excuses. If he's the quarterback the Giants believe he is, then, then there's no excuses because they've gotten him the weapons he needs, and they may get him another one in the first round of the draft. But, but he has enough 
with Barkley coming back and with the addition of Galladay, uh, as long as the offensive line continues to improve, and that's a big if, of course, uh, to young offensive line, uh, as long as that the offensive line can give him time to throw, there is no reason why Daniel Jones should not get over the hump this year and be a playoff contending quarterback. Steve, I, I talked at the beginning about New York City from a sports perspective, and it's a reaction, sometimes overreaction city when it comes to a lot of the teams. Nothing more than the New York Knicks. Here are the Knicks uh, for the first time in, I don't know, seven years where they're even discussing some kind of a playoff entry, whether it's in the play on the play in seven through 10 seed, or perhaps they can sneak into the six seed. But right now there's a jumble in the Eastern Conference where there's a bunch of teams that are competing for a couple of spots. I look at this Knicks team, and while they're on a six-game winning streak right now, you wonder if the Knicks fans are waiting for the other shoe to drop, or have they bought into what they're doing? Oh, yeah. You know, the Knicks fan, after after all the uh, horror they've seen over the years, I'm sure they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. But the good news is they have an elite coach who has gotten much more out of Julius Randle than anyone thought uh, he could um, with credit to Julius Randle for all the work he put in, but um, it's defense. The Knicks are playing defense now, and they've bought in to Tom Thibodeau. And I think Knicks fans, after uh, David Fisdale and Derek Fisher and uh, Hornacek, I think they are I think they have bought in to how good a coach this guy is. And um, as, as soon as they get more horses for, for Thibodeau, they they will be a legitimate contender. They're not there yet, but they're a tough out. Every night they're a tough out because of how hard they play defense. And that's refreshing for Knicks fans. Mm. And, um, uh, yes, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop, but I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel if you're a Knicks fan. Well, they also, it, look, it helps to be a little lucky, and they were the other night against New Orleans. Uh, with down three points, Derrick Rose has got the ball with 7.8 seconds left, goes down the lane, and Lonzo Ball decides to slough off the, the guy in the corner, Bullock, and try to guard Derrick Rose. And I'm as I'm watching this game, I'm going, where are you going? Let him get the layup. You're still up a point. Or either that or foul him, do one of two things, and then Stan Van Gundy in the post-game locker room, said that was a high school play. Ripped his own player. But the fact of the matter is, Steve, he deserved to get ripped. That was just a fundamentally stupid mistake. Now, to the Knicks' credit, they benefited because Bullock still had to make the three-point shot, which he did. Sent it to overtime. They win the game. Going forward, a a win like that can sometimes catapult a team beyond uh, what you thought they were going to be. Yeah, I mean, look, look at all the uh, high school plays the, the Knicks have made over the years uh, that resulted in heartbreaking losses. So, uh, what's the harm in heart, few heartbreak, a few uh, wins uh, like that? Uh, you know, look, when, when you're when Thibodeau has them in position to win these games, uh, some of them they'll win, some of them they'll lose, luck or not. But uh, it, it's just it's just refreshing for Knicks fans. 
to see a team that gives them hope. I think this is the first time in years they've had hope. Well, you, you look at what's going on across the river in Brooklyn and, you know, the, the Nets to pick up all these superstars that really haven't played together yet for any period of time. Uh, and, and their chances of going all the way are, are a lot better than the Knicks. But as you well know, uh, this is still a Nick town. Uh, everybody's happy about the way the Nets are going. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with Marv Albert years ago when I was doing the Nets. And the Knicks come over to play in the Meadowlands. And, and Albert says, well, the Knicks are playing, the Nets are playing great under Chuck Daly. Um, but you know, if they win a championship, where's the parade going to be on 16W of the Turnpike? And I said, Marv, you know, the bubble of pomposity one day is going to break. And it basically has for the Knicks over the last several years. But the fact of the matter is, as well as the Nets are playing, Stephen, you know this, this is still a Nick town. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it could be if the big three in Brooklyn uh, can somehow manage to stay on the floor together, which they have yet to do, uh, it, it could be a, Net, a Brooklyn Nets town for uh, a few weeks. But ultimately, yes, it's... Uh, it's a Knicks town, and it always will be a Knicks town. Uh, let me ask you this. All the time you've been uh, in your job and, and writing stories, I asked you before who's crossed your path. You mentioned Parcells. You mentioned Tom Coughlin. But has there ever been a story that kind of grabbed you a little bit from an emotional standpoint? Do you recall that? Yeah, I remember, um, you remember Dennis Bird when he had that yeah. strategy tragedy at the Meadowlands when he collided with Scott Mercero, his own teammate, and was uh, paralyzed. And, uh, that one grabbed me. I remember uh, calling up his pastor, and uh, it, it, it really struck me. I remember uh, actually in tears writing writing a column after that. Uh, Bird was a really good guy, and uh, it, it just was so, so gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching, and uh, he, he was a, a young, he was in his 20s, he had his whole, he had a bright football future ahead of him, he was married with, I think, two little girls at the time, uh, it, it was just awful, and I, it, it, it really tugged at my heartstrings, and it tugged at, I think, at everybody else's heartstrings as well. Well, and then he, and then down the road, of course, he passed on, but uh, I, I could see with that, you know, everybody looked, they say, oh, Steve Serby's a tough guy, you know, he writes tough articles and so on, but... How many times have you had a uh, some kind of a backlash over something you've written? Um, oh, many times, <laughs> especially nowadays within social media. You know, you any there's some people. There are a lot of people, unfortunately, in this world that are that are either never happy, that are miserable, or are looking to pick a fight, and that's where we are right now. And uh, um, the perfect person, the perfect writer, the perfect columnist uh, will never exist. But um, it, it, it's a sad commentary on our time that there is just so much negativity in this world. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's more prevalent than it ever was in the sports world. And, uh, but that's, uh, you know, you roll with the punches. And uh, you develop a thick skin, and I've had a thick skin for a long, long time. I guess you have to in the job you have. But the thing that's, that I've always enjoyed 
And look, I grew up, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, so I've grown up with the New York Post, the Daily News, back in the day, the Daily Mirror, and some great writers have been in this town. Dave Anderson comes to mind from the New York Times. Uh, but having said all of that, I, I look at the group of guys that uh, your co-writers at the Post. I mean, uh, Mike Vaccaro's tremendous. Uh, Ian Connor has just uh, joined the Post again. Um, and Costello, I mentioned before, the beat writer, uh, you know, for the Jets. Uh, do you ever, ever talk to the to your fellow writers and compare notes? Oh yeah, well, every so often we do, especially when we're we're uh, on the same assignment. Or uh, yeah, those are great. What a bunch of great colleagues I have at the New York Post. There, there's just it, it's a superstar staff, and uh, most of the guys, virtually all of the guys, are really good guys. And uh, I'm I'm really lucky to be a teammate of them and. Um, and there's my ride now. I gotta catch this ride. Uh, <laughs> listen, thanks, Howard. I appreciate the time. Stay in touch. Oh, it's evening. You stay safe. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Steve Serby, the New York Post. Been around a long time. He's gotten into it with people back in the day. Got into it with Richard Todd, the quarterback of the Jets. He's gotten into it with politicians like Al Sharpton in New York. Uh, hey, when you're writing a column, and I don't mean a beat writer, I mean a column, you're offering your opinion. And 100% of the people that are reading your column are not agreeing with you. They're disagreeing you disagreeing with you more often than they're agreeing with you. They take issue with what you say. I mean, I look at a newspaper, whether it's the Post or the News uh, or the Times, and I I, I raise questions about some things that I've read, but by the same token, I appreciate the opinions of the writers. And and uh, and Steve mentioned uh, the colleagues that he's got. I mean, Mike Vaccaro's as good a writer as I've ever ever seen. I mean, I, I really enjoy uh, reading Mike's column. We've had him on the podcast. He does a, a fabulous job with us. Um, Ian O'Connor has just returned after a hiatus back to the New York metropolitan area and writing now for the Post, another outstanding writer. So, and, and the thing that it does is that it keeps them all on their toes because they're in competition with each other, believe it or don't. I watched a basketball game last night. I watch a basketball game just about every night. And I watched Golden State in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is right now sitting atop the Eastern Conference. But they ran up against a Warriors team last night, and in particular, a player named Steph Curry. Steph Curry has made me, he's amazed me. I mean, he puts up a three-point shot. I know it's going in. I think he made seven or eight last night. And over the last 10 games, he's made 73 Three-point shots. Do the math. It's over seven per game. And you can try to guard him. You double-team him, you've probably got a better chance, but somebody else is open, and Curry will find him. But he made one shot after another last night, and I'm saying, there it goes, it's in, going to make another one. And they beat Philadelphia. It's an important game for Golden State because they, they're trying to fight from behind in the Western Conference and stay relative in the playoff hunt. And it's tough. They, they have Draymond Green, they got Wiggins, they got some other players, but they miss Klay Thompson, certainly, and 
He's been out now for two years. But as long as they have Stephen Curry, he's even amazing Steve Kerr, his coach, about what he is able to do. And I'm saying to myself, you know, you imagine, look, San Francisco's a big market. But could you imagine if Steph Curry was playing in New York? Could you imagine? He would be, he could run for mayor and win hands down. Could run for governor of the state of New York and win hands down. He is a phenomenon. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised, you know, they were talking about the possibility of having a four-point shot one day by bringing the line back. Don't do that. All you can do is make Curry shoot from further away and he'll make him anyway. I mean, one day I'm going to see him take a shot from the seats and he doesn't have to be sitting on the aisle and he'll make it. He's a phenomenon. His father, Del Curry, was a great three-point shooter as well. One of the premier shooters of his time. But even Del Curry would tell you that his son is a better shooter than he is. Having said that, I just look at this at this NBA season and see things, and I mentioned this to Steve Serby a little while ago. You see things in the NBA that you don't see in any other sport. First of all, they're the best athletes of all the sports. I think you'll agree with that. Uh, and having said that, yeah, they are the best athletes, but look what they do and look how they're able to perform running up and down the court and the cardiovascular intake. I mean, it's just particularly taxing. That's why it bugs me when, when they, this load management has become a thing of today's NBA. A lot of guys don't play the second night of back-to-backs. I don't think that's right. And if you're injured, different story. But if you just need the night off, at this stage of the season, you would think your innermost drive would make you say, I need to be out there. I need to be out there for my team. We're getting ready to com compete for the playoffs. And I want to be out there. But for whatever the reason, it doesn't happen. And I'm thinking, you know, at some point, this has got to stop. But we'll see. Hello. Hello, Steve. Howard, David, how are you today? Good, how are you? I got a question for you. You've been around the New York metropolitan area long enough to comment on this. Uh, this You're already making me old. <laughs> No, this is this is a new uh, a new phenomenon, load management, and it gets to a point where I'm thinking to myself that guys taking off second nights of back to back, and it's throughout the entire league. It's not one team or two teams or even ten teams, and I'm thinking to myself at this stage of the season, wouldn't your inner drive get you out on the floor, knowing how important every game is in terms of competing for a playoff spot? Yeah, but you know, it's funny. You know, in other years, I've I've kind of lobbied against this. You know that that you know this is what you train for. This year is an odd one though, because every team I talk to, you know, talks about the condensed schedule. Um, you know, the lack of training camp. The the you know it may seem weird, but the the COVID testing has turned in you know to where even you know Tom Thibodeau is in holding regular practices because they're, you know, it's morning, night, you know, it's, it's twice a day testing for guys. So it's, it's kind of thrown schedules off and, 
Um, and I think, you know, even even with guys who've had COVID, they have to kind of be careful how they work them after. So it's a, it's a strange season. I, I, I kind of, this year I'm kind of throwing out as an aberration, hopefully. Um, but, but look, it's, it's happened before and the NBA has had to you know, step forward and find teams for resting guys. Um, you know, it, it was the Spurs years ago. It was the Spurs again this week. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's done. It, it makes it look, it makes a bad product. I think for the league, you know, forget about what it's doing for guys, you know, head to the playoffs. It's, it makes a bad product when you think you're going to see a game between, you know, the Nets and Sixers, you know, and the Nets are, you know, sitting out half their team. Hey, Steve Popper of New York Newsday covers the uh, New York Knicks. The Knicks are for real right now. Six-game winning streak. Uh, I I have to believe that New York is a reactionary town. It's also uh, a town that has an overreaction sometimes. And so Nick fans have been starving for a team for seven years. They get into the playoffs. Now they've got one. And it seems that they'll, they'll get in the postseason in one form or another. But I think their goal is not to be part of the 7 through 10 group, but to get in at least the 6 spot. Yeah, and and look, you know, I think, I hate to say, but about a week and a half ago, I wrote a column saying, you know, that the play-in was probably where they were going to land when you looked at what the schedule was, that they had a very tough schedule coming up. Um, but I think they keep exceeding expectations, you know, whether it's from the start of the year to what they're doing right now. They had a, a lost five out of six games at one point just recently, and they followed it up with a six-game winning streak, um, which I, you know, I, I, I just don't even know how to make heads or tails of what this team is, other than you know every day they play hard. They, you know, we, we talk about you know exceeding expectations, and they don't have the talent that some of these other teams have. You know, Stan Van Gundy said it. The other day that you know he he's not surprised because he thinks you know when you look at that middle of the pack teams you know they have as much talent as anybody and and i'd say look look at boston who's next to them and and you would never you know trade rosters if you're if you're the celtics um i don't know how they do it other than they play hard every night and which is what, what new york fans really should love um they are an embodiment of a tom Thibodeau team they play hard every every night and, and you brought up load management well, if you don't like load management, then watch two of those teams because nobody sits for load management. Nobody sits uh, in the last two minutes of a game when you're up by 15. You play to win every minute, and, and that's what they do. Uh, you mentioned Stan Van Gundy. That reminds me of the game on Sunday with New Orleans. Uh, and it came down to 7.8 seconds left. Knicks are down three. Derrick Rose has got the ball. He takes it down the lane, and Lonzo Ball, for some unexplainable reason, drifted away from the man in the corner, Bullock, and decided he was going to try to help out guarding Derrick Rose. And I'm watching the game going, where are you going? Yeah. Let, it, let him get the layup. You're still up a point. Or foul him. Do one of the two. And the option that he shouldn't have taken was the one he did. Now, to Bullock's credit, he made the shot. Okay, and it sent it into overtime, and they dominated overtime from there. But... Van Gundy, in the post-game press conference, referred to it as a high school mistake. That, that's well, a direct I, shot I at ball, right? What he said was high schoolers wouldn't make that mistake. And, and it's funny because, you know, not even just on that last play of regulation, you know, throughout the game, they, they would, you know, help out on Randall or help out on somebody in the lane. And they would cheat off of the few shooters that the Knicks have. You know, if you want to, you know, cheat off Alfred Payton, 
you know, that's one thing and, and leave him open on the three. And if he hits it, you know, more power to him. Great, great job by him. But they, you know, they're cheating off of, you know, Barrett in the corner. They're che- cheating off of, you know, Emmanuel quickly off Randall. And I, I'm watching it and I say to another sports writer, I'm like, either they're the worst coach team I've seen or they're the dumbest team I've seen. And I think they answered it. Uh, I think Stan in post game kind of put the blame off of himself and onto the team that, you know, that they're just playing dumb. And, and I almost think it should be a cautionary tale for the Knicks who, you know, who obviously have had their flirtations with Lonzo ball already. Um, you know, I mean, what Stan Van Gundy, Van Gundy said, that is a dumb defensive play and and why you would ever up to with 2.3 seconds left you know chase the guy in the lane and leave leave the best you know one of the best three-point shooters on the team open in the corner is is hard to explain well and particularly when van gundy who is a defensive-minded coach uh, as thibodeau is and thibodeau's done well i'm not taking anything away from thibodeau he has done a great job uh he's going to be uh, he'll get some votes for coach of the year i don't think he'll win it because Quinn Snyder has done what he's done. Um, uh, Monty Williams. Monty Williams in Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah, he's done what he's done. you got to even look at Doc Rivers uh, leading the East. Uh, but Thibodeau has done a fabulous job in terms of getting these guys to play hard for 48 minutes, particularly at the defensive end. Yeah, and it's look, you know, I've said it since the beginning of the year, the, the talent level is not much different than it was last year. Um, you know, the guys who are here got better. That That's the important thing. You know, they do have some new faces, but not that different and not that much better than what they had. And they're, they're minus Marcus Morris, who was probably their, their, you know, most consistent best player last year until he was traded. Um, if you would have told me, and, and, you know, I think any of us predicting the season never would have predicted this kind of play. Um, but these guys have all bought in. You know, they've become defensive players. Um, I, I think Anthony Edwards uh, from Minnesota, the rookie, said it earlier this year. Individually, they don't have great defenders. As a team, they defend hard every play. And and this is sort of the cautionary tale, the warning I've had. Uh, Net fans got angry at me. But, you know, if the Nets wind up number one and the Net, Knicks wind up number eight, you know, the, the Nets' talent is overwhelming. And, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they swept a four-game series. But I'll say this. Every game that you go against a Thibodeau team will be a hard one. That they will play, they will play you to the wire, and they will take away what you do best offensively. Um, that that's just what he does. Um, if you look back at some of his, you know, Chicago teams when they had injuries in the postseason, um, they play. You know, they plug in guys that you know. Aaron Brooks is playing the point for you, and guys like that, and and they just still fight you. You know. Uh, tooth and nail, and they and they take away what you do. And in a playoff series, I, I wouldn't want to play play a Thibodeau team. I just I just don't think the Knicks have the talent, you know, to compete with those top teams in the East. But it's going to be a fight for any of them to to, you know, they can't do what they normally do in the in the regular season and expect to walk over the Knicks. Well, you, they're right now they're in uh, a tie with the Celtics for the fifth spot. They have to battle the Hawks at four. They've got to battle the Heat behind them. And tonight they meet the Charlotte Hornets, a team that's not that far behind. But you look at the remaining schedule, they have 14 games to play, eight of those against teams with a 500 record or better. That will be a challenge. 
Yeah, and 13 of them, I think, are against teams that are in the playoff hunt. Um, Houston is the only game, uh, I think, that, that uh, that's outside of it, Houston on the road. Uh, but, it, you know, it, no matter who you're playing, it, it's tough to do what they've got. They've got a six-game uh, road trip uh, to the West Coast. That's tough, and, and that's kind of why I thought they'd wind up in this play-in tournament. Um, I, I, I just don't know now because, you know, th- this has kind of been the one thing the Knicks have had going for them all year is a continuity and a stability. I, I wrote a column about it again on Sunday that, you know, when you look at teams like, you know, Boston, Washington, Miami, um, Chicago have all had huge COVID, uh, you know, stoppages where they couldn't practice, where they had games canceled. Um, the Knicks haven't had that. They've been hit a little bit like everybody. You know, they lost Derek Rose, which was a huge loss for a little while, for three weeks. And right now they're without Alec Burks. But they haven't lost a starter, and they haven't had that period where they couldn't get the team together, where they had to kind of separate out. Uh, they've been lucky enough to do that. And, and, and uh, the Mitchell Robinson thing avoided major injuries. Um, so I, I think they've had some continuity that, you know, it, it helps them, and it's, it's helping them right now that down the stretch, you know, I, I would have thought the Hornets, the way they were playing earlier, you know, were going to hang on to a four or five spot. But they plunged as soon as they lost, you know, Gordon Hayward and, and LaMelo Ball. And, and I guess it's surprising that but now we're talking, you know, before the end of the season, they're expecting Ball back, um, which, which is going to be a help. But he's a rookie coming back to a, you know, a, a last two weeks of a playoff hunt. Um, the, the Knicks have, have some stability, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they hang on to this 5-6, avoid the play-in spot. Uh, when the acquisition of Derrick Rose was big, Thibodeau, of course, had a history with Rose twice. Uh, and and I think he's been a, a welcome addition to the team. And it would seem to me when people will say, well, what do they do after Rose, meaning after the season? The question is not – I don't think with, for the Knicks it's got to be uh, a play-for-today attitude. Forget about tomorrow, at least for now. Yeah, and, and look, <laughs> I'd, sign, I'd sign Rose if I'm a Thibodeau to coach team. I'd sign Rose as long as he wants to play, as long as he can stand up because – not only is he probably their third best player on the team right now, you know, there's a lot of days where he's one, one or two because, you know, they'll, they'll be, you know, a, a struggle. Somebody, you know, the starting unit isn't playing. And how many times have we seen Derrick Rose come in and bring energy and, and production off the bench? Um, you know, I, I'm sure Thibodeau is tempted to put him in the starting lineup. I, I think what he's resorted to is having him be that spark, but also playing him more minutes than Alfred Payton. Um, I, I just think he's been invaluable from this year. And, you know, like I said, we talk about contracts for the future. Uh, one of the first priorities I do is to bring him back next year. Uh, you know, I don't think he has to be a starter for you. I think obviously they'd like to get themselves a real quality starting point guard. But, you know, he's, he's my number two. And if he was my number one, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world, um, you know, if he inherited that role. Steve Popper of New York Newsday covering the New York Knicks. They haven't made the playoffs since 2013, haven't made the conference finals since 2000. Uh, but, but that's yesterday's news. Today's news is you wonder if they can finally break the difficulty of acquiring a top-notch free agent. And it would seem that Leon Rose, the president of the team, is charged with that responsibility. And he's familiar, obviously, as a former agent uh, with a lot of these free agents. And I, look, they've had nothing but disappointment. I mean, going back as far as getting Kiki Vandeweghe, 
<laughs> they've they've not been able to to uh, to score with a big name free agent, and you wonder why. Well, I, I, I think that the dominoes are kind of falling into place right now. This is not a great free agent class coming up, you know, particularly with unrestricted free agents. But they have changed the, you know, the image of the team, which I think is the first step uh, for this organization is, you know, they've made themselves into a team that is not dysfunctional anymore. Um, they, they've become a team that, you know, players outside look at and admire and look, Thibodeau not only has he had a success as, as a head coach in two other spots and an assistant coach in many spots, but he's been a, you know a part of international teams. So a lot of the stars you know are already familiar with him and know him well. Um, and players talk among each other, you know, which is which is why the Knicks were on the outside looking in before, and I think why now they'd be a destination. Um, and when I when I talk about you know the pieces being in place, they also ha- are going to have you know depending what they do with some of these players. They're going to have a ton of cap space, um, possibly the most cap space of any team this summer. Um, I, I think what it lends itself to is is not just free agency, because as I said, it's not a great free agent class, but players who are maybe dissatisfied where they are. You know, I, I'm sure ears perked up at the Garden when they heard Zion Williamson's post game talk the other day. Um, you know, talking about how much he loves playing in New York, and you know, second only to New Orleans, which is the polite thing to say. Um, but you know, if you've been to a game in New Orleans, it doesn't compare. You know, I, I'm not saying that the Knicks have been a team that anyone wants to play for, but New York and Madison Square Garden compared to the atmosphere there, uh, you know, New Orleans, Louisiana is not a basketball pro basketball town, um, and, and it's been that way no matter how, you know who's been there on the team. Um, I, I think you're going to see some players that are, you know looking looking side-eyed from the organization that they're with and wondering how they can work their way over there hey. uh, which is is a big step and particularly when you look at you know they were kind of banking on these draft picks this year there's a Dallas's and it looks like those may not be you know nearly as valuable uh, as, as you thought they were or hoped they were going to be so maybe now you know free agency or trades is the way that you're gonna get those pieces that you need Man, go back as far as, I, I don't know, Kobe Bryant loved playing in New York. Michael Jordan loved playing in New York. LeBron James loved, but that didn't get him to change his mind about coming to New York. But having said that, let's see who's there and who's there. I really like Emmanuel quickly. I think the guy's got a chance to be a really good player in this league. Superstar, let's not get crazy. But he has shown an aggression and fierce determination where uh, I think he can be a good pro for a long time. Well, I, I think I think the way you ended it there is what I'd agree with a good pro. I, I'm not even sure he's he's best suited to be a starter because he is very much you know he he talks about admiring Lou Williams and I think he's very much that kind of player. He's a he's a you know thinks looks for his own offense first. I think we've seen a little bit lately. He's kind of gotten some more playmaking, you know, and we. And we you know, we can't forget he's a rookie and, and with, with barely any training camp and no summer league. Um, so everything everything is a learning process, a growth process for these guys. Um, but I think, you know, what he shows is that he's a guy who's fearless, who can shoot from the outside, who can penetrate. Um, he's just the kind of guy you'd want to be, your sixth, seventh guy, you know, an energy guy off the bench. He's not a great defender. He's not a great point guard. But he is a guy who can come in and score in bunches. And if you're, you know, if you're lagging, 
he can certainly pick you up quickly. <laughs> it's nice no, play no. on words. <laughs> uh, Julius Randle leads the team in points, leads the team in rebounding, leads the team in assists, made the all-star team, deserved it. Uh, he is one of, one of the, um, the feel-good stories about about this year. And you think to yourself, once upon a time, he's a member of the Lakers. And look, it happens all the time. Guys don't, you know, for whatever the reason, it doesn't work one place, they start another place. And Randall, uh, right now, has become obviously a fan favorite because of what he's doing on the floor. And he shows this uh, night in and night out. He shows that uh, where he, he gets emotionally involved. He gets at the officials sometimes, and that's okay. And it, it demonstrates to me that he cares. Yeah, I think we, you know, you just went through, you know, leads the point of the team in scoring, leads the team in rebounding. I think you could stop it halfway through that sentence. He leads the team. That's what that's what he does. He's he is the guy now who's the heart and soul of the team, who leads them, who they follow. Um, you know, it's. It, it, I think that's probably the biggest difference. You know, when he came here, he was he had he had numbers in New Orleans his one year there where I think he was the only guy to reach those numbers, 21 points, 8.5 rebounds, and not be an all-star. Um, so, he, so he had already been putting up points, you know, in the league, but he was thought of as a numbers guy. And, and I think even last year it was, you know, it was a get-his-own kind of guy. Uh, this year, as good as he's been, that's not the guy he's been. You'll see him at times, you know, go through a half taking one shot, no shots. Um he draws the defense. He sets guys up. Um, R.J. Barrett has benefited greatly from, you know, hiding in the corner. And, and as, you know, he's getting double, triple team, you know, he's developed that three-point, you know, corner three-pointer. And Randall has fed him for it. And it's become this great combination for them. I, I think if they replace Peyton with a shooter, uh, I think his numbers would be even better. And we'd be talking a guy who's nearly averaging a triple-double. Um but I think again, you know, beyond the numbers, I don't think that's that's the biggest difference this year. I think he's become a team guy. He's become an extension of Thibodeau on the floor, um, a guy who plays hard both ways and puts up massive minutes. Uh, you know, leading the NBA in minutes total minutes played. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a complaint a Nick fan or, or anybody in the organization can have with him. Uh, and, and the biggest question is what it will lead for him contract wise. And so here we were talking before about load management. I don't see Randall missing any games. No, it's been amazing. He's he's been consistent. Uh, and and you ask him about it, you know, you know, playing a forty minute game when you know when maybe he could take a little breather somewhere, and he doesn't look for it. And you know, it's I'll rest on the on the other you know on another day. Um, this is this is kind of the Thibodeau thing, and and it, the unusual part is. Thibodeau loves to practice. <laughs> I think that is that's been clear over his career. He loves to practice. He talks about you know that's where you know the magic is in the work. Um, and this year, you know, some of it you know maybe hiding practices from the media, but I think for the most part, they have not been um, practicing lately. Down the stretch of the second half of the season, he's turned to making off days be a film session day, um, some individual work with coach. You know, maybe guys who haven't been playing will, will scrimmage a bit to you know keep their hand in. Um, but mostly, they they've kind of used the walkthrough as a game preparation, use film on the off days, uh, and try and rest them there. And, and 
pile up the minutes in the game. And so far it's worked and, and they haven't been hit with bad, you know, even when they've had injuries, they haven't been injuries of overuse. You know, Mitchell Robinson is a freak injury that happens. You know, it's, you know, he could have played the first minute of the season and gotten that. So it's, it's, you know, I, I, I think guys have been happy with being a part of this and, and putting up the numbers. Um, I, I, I don't see any pushback from the organization or the team on it. Talking, uh, taking a bite at the big apple with Steve Popper of New York Newsday. Look, Players buy into the leader. The leader does what he does, and everybody follows suit. Uh, and and, uh, and you mentioned uh, R.J. Barrett before. Uh, a little inconsistent at times, but it's expected. He's a rookie. Rookies are inconsistent. Uh, they haven't gotten what they thought they were going to get out of Kevin Knox. Uh, Toppin remains to be seen, but, you know, all of this takes time. Right now, the focus is on making the playoffs and getting rid of the label. Oh, yeah, the Knicks. Uh, they're in the lottery again. Uh, that doesn't appear to be the case right now. Yeah, and, and you know some of the guys you mentioned, I, I think one of the interesting things that Thibodeau has been able to do here is, as he's piling up minutes on on his you know primary guys, the you know the 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 drawback has been that a lot of guys have not seen the floor, and what 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 has kind of been odd is that there seems to be no dissatisfaction, no pushback. Um, you know, the one guy who, who wasn't thrilled with it was Dennis Smith. And, you know, he even pushed, you know, to go play in the G League at one point before he got traded. But, you know, Kevin Knox has been a good soldier. Frank Nealakin had been a good soldier. Obi Toppin, who was a lottery pick, you know, could be dissatisfied that he's in New York. And it's embarrassing sometimes, you know, you're playing for a minute, you get yanked, you know, on your first defensive mis- miscue. Um, you know, when, when you can see some other players around the league, some, you know, other lottery picks getting chances to play through these mistakes. Um, there's been no no pushback from players, no no agents complaining about you know what's happened with their players, and you see these guys you know kind of becoming this bench mob who you know you know cheer almost like a college unit uh, for their teammates. Um, so it's it's kind of been somehow they've worked this culture where it's been all for one, and and you know when you, you be ready when your time comes, and they'll cheer for you too. Uh, Steve, they, they, I mentioned they have Charlotte tonight. They've got Atlanta tomorrow night. Back-to-backs, are, particularly at this stage of the year, are, are certainly never never easy to overcome. you got an Atlanta team that uh, I said before the season started, I thought Atlanta in the East and Phoenix in the West would be noticeably improved basketball teams, and they both are. The Hawks, have added some key pieces. Trey Young is one he's, I mean, he's like a poor man's Steph Curry. He'll hoist him up from anywhere. It doesn't make any difference. He'll hoist him up from the seats, and he doesn't even have to be sitting in the aisle. That, may, that makes him pretty common in the league these yeah. this, this year, the way people are, are pulling up from all over the place. Um, look, I, I think we, we discussed this maybe earlier in the season that um, they were one of the surprising disappointments early because when you saw these additions and the way the, way the pieces were in place, it seemed like a team that could uh, – you know, suddenly rise and be one of the surprise teams. Um, you know, not a surprise, a team just to kind of make that quick jump. Um, and I think Lloyd Pierce was a pretty well-respected coach, so I, I think it was surprising when they when they struggled. But boy, as soon as they switched to Nate McMillan, it's like a switch turned on. And I, I've even heard his name mentioned as you know a half-year coach of the year candidate. Um, the way they're playing now is kind of, I think, what what most of us expected early. And some of the talent they've added, it's kind of not been a, 
um, same guy every night. Now it's not just Trey Young. There's there's nights where somebody else is bailing him out. Clint Capella has been playing great since uh, since they took over. Um, I, I think they're a dangerous team, and and the way they're playing and the way they're coached, um, you know, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to that four or five spot too. I look, Steve, at um, you know two teams that got off slowly: Boston and Miami. Here's Boston an Eastern finalist last year. Here's Miami, an NBA finalist last year. And, you know, people, if you sit around the table with a bunch of NBA writers, broadcasters, fans, they would say, you know, Atlanta, Miami, Boston will finish ahead of the Knicks. And that may very well be. But <laughs> it's you better make sure that you got your hat on straight when you play the Knicks because they don't understand what the word take the night off is. Right. I, I think kind of what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, Miami and Boston are teams that uh, got hit hard by COVID and by injury, um, sort of had, you know, lost lost that time early in the year where they, they could have been working out together. Um, and Jimmy Butler in and out of the lineup, you know, Jason Tatum having a long stretch post-COVID where he just wasn't himself. Um, you know, the Knicks have been able to avoid that and, and – you're right. I, I am shocked every day. I look at the standings and I don't see them pulling far ahead. You know, and Toronto's another team that, that I'm, I'm shocked with the way that they play. The, you know, the culture they have there, the coaching. I, I'm shocked to see them drop as they did. Who, Steve? Uh, who? Go ahead. Yeah, who uh, of the teams in the East? I mean, we, we're not surprised with Philadelphia. We're not surprised. We're a little surprised with Brooklyn only because they haven't had the big three together, except for yeah. probably eight or nine games. Uh, Milwaukee, to me, is an enigma. Uh, uh, with with Giannis, and of course Giannis has been banged up, and he's been in and out of the lineup. He's missed about six or seven games lately. But Chris Middleton is, uh, has has uh, taken his game, I think, to another level. Yeah, I, you know, to me again, this is what we keep talking about: is stability and growing these this team. You know, as a unit together, I think Brooklyn has got, has got to, you know, be cautious about that as they approach the postseason. Um, getting these guys all on the floor together, you know, and now LaMarcus Aldridge is out of it. Um, uh, to me, you know, it does matter that you play together. I, I think we've seen Milwaukee have some ups and downs, you know, as they work, you know, sort of this new group together, you know, so some of it stable, you know, stable from last year, but, you know, adding a new point guard. Um to me, I, I, I think that they're going to be a dangerous team down the stretch because I think that they've sort of got it, found their place. Um, you know, you wish you wouldn't be without Giannis. That obviously is a huge, huge, you know, factor. Um, but I think they're starting to play together well. And I think Boston also is now, you know, uh, other than a disappointing loss last night to Chicago, I, I think they've started to get it, get it together. Miami, again, has got to get, you know, Jimmy Butler's got to be playing for them to play good. Yeah. There's, you know, I, I, I hear MVP talk for him basically almost based on, you know, what they are without him, How you know, how, how drastically they drop off when they don't have him in the lineup. Um, and Toronto, to me, is the biggest surprise that, you know, that they've kind of fallen apart this season. Uh, shocks me. Realistically. Looking through the Steve Popper crystal ball. <laughs> the Knicks... Very foggy crystal ball, usually. Well, okay. Uh, I'll accept that. Uh, do you see the Knicks avoiding the 7 through 10 group? Do you see them surviving 
six? Uh, you know, they're there now, but I, I, I still kind of have this feel that, that Miami is going to rise. Um, but, you know, I, I've had that feeling about Miami, about Toronto, about Indiana, and it, and it hasn't happened yet. So I, I could see them doing it again, like we've talked about. We know the Knicks, you know, may not have the talent of some of these teams or the pedigree, but we do know that they're going to play hard whoever they put out there every night. Um, that's an advantage. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they fall out of it. Uh, if they fall to seven, you know, I still think they'll be a team that's prepared to play any of those teams in a play-in. And, and again, like I said, they don't have the talent. Like, you know, if they find, you know, wind up in that seven or eight spot, they don't have the talent of, of a Milwaukee, of a Philadelphia, of a Brooklyn. But I certainly wouldn't want to play them because it will be a war that will, will even if you get past them, it's going to hurt you in the next series. Yeah, well, if they finish six, likely they'll wind up playing Milwaukee. That's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the interesting thing to be to me would be if they somehow play Brooklyn, who they played to the wire every game this season, and you know Brooklyn just out talents them, you know, around almost you know at every position, um, and and the Knicks play them hard anyway. You know, I mean Kyrie can have his way with Peyton, you know, with Rose any night he wants. Um, you know, will Durant be there? Will Harden be there? You know, the, the talent is immense and the gap is immense. But the Knicks have, have a stability this year playing together. They're really well coached. They have a, a guy who knows how to prepare for a series. Um, and look, here, I'll, I'll show my age. I, I always remember going back to Jeff Van Gundy's first year uh, coaching in New York as a head coach. Took over, you know, during the season. They had been, I think, swept by Cleveland during the year. They went into play that Mike Fratello coached team in the postseason and took away everything they did well hmm. and I think swept them back, you know, in, in the first round of the playoffs. That's what that's what a well coached team can do. They can you know, when they can zero in on someone and how you how you play, what you like to do best, and they can in a series take that away from you. So now it's how you adjust and and that's my one fear for Brooklyn, who I think could win the whole thing. They have the talent to do it. Um, is how well they can get ready for a playoff series. Uh, you know, when when they haven't had the experience of playing against seven games for that big three to play together this year, is to me a, a frightening thing. If I'm if I'm a Brooklyn, you know, fan. I'm older than you, man. I remember uh, Jeff Van Gundy hanging on to Alonzo Mourning's leg. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, I was there for that too. <laughs> hey Steve, appreciate your time as always. You stay safe. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Steve Hopper, New York Newsday. <laughs> Boy, that brings back memories. Wow, wow, that <laughs> brings back some wild memories. You talk to a guy now that watches a superstar every night. Oh, Tim, Howard, David, how are you today? Good, how are you doing? I'm, I'm uh, very jealous of you. Would you like to know why? <laughs> why? Because <laughs> you watch Steph Curry every night. And I'm thinking, I'm watching this guy, my wife thinks I'm nuts. I'm watching the game last night against Philadelphia. And he's hoisting him up from every place. One day he's going to take a shot from the third row, and he's not even going to be sitting on the aisle, and he'll make it. 
unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, even even Steve Kerr has lost four words anymore. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's incredibly hard just to describe. You know, it it you, he's playing. Uh, di- I said last night he's playing in a different universe. Everybody else has got you know down on Earth. He's way out in space, and it's it's just um, it, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And and uh, you know, every night we just kind of look at each other and shake our heads because he's doing something different every night. Guy goes ten of seventeen from the three point line last night. He's made 73 three-point shots in the last 10 games. I do the math. I mean, he's, he's what he's doing, he's put this team on his back and is trying to carry them into the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to be a battle. He's still got some tough games ahead and, and to try to get out of where they are right now, which is which is in the ninth seed. But I think as long as they're in the, in the play-in, 7 through 10, they're still a dangerous out. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if I'd want to play against a team that had Steph Curry in a one-game, you know, winner-take-all scenario, uh, or even right now in a series, because you know, every time he he gets the ball and looks up, he sees three or four bodies all ready to help on him, and you know, he doesn't have Clay Thompson on that weak side anymore, and so every time he gets the ball, he is the main focus of attention. There was a play last night that teammate on a, an impromptu fast break and all Draymond did was eyeball Steph he came down the right side and looked at Steph all the defenders looked at, at Steph and reacted to Steph nobody looked at Wiggins who was coming right down the middle right. and Draymond threw him a pass and he gets a wide open layup but it just shows you the gravity of Steph Curry that everybody kind of slides over to where he is and for him to be putting up these numbers and shooting the way he is with that kind of attention I mean, it's, it's once in a lifetime. You're not going to see, you know, somebody make a run like this again. He's Tim Roy, the voice of the Golden State Warriors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, but you see, when it came down to the big spot last night, he's, he he choked. He missed the free throw that could have gotten the 50 points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. And you know that that's what he's thinking about today. It's not <laughs> that he had a great game. I can't believe I missed that free throw. You know, that uh, you know one of the best free throw shooters ever, and he, he misses that. So I, I know that's burning him today. But, but uh, geez, I mean, just it, it's, it's – I, I say this, and I tell people this all the time. You know, he just passed Wilt to become the Warriors' all-time leading scorer. And he's now passed, you know, Rick Barry in terms of franchise consecutive games with 30. And now only Wilt has more. And he'll never catch that because of, of Wilt's 50, you know, average 50 a game one year. But to, to see someone pass Wilt, to see someone break records or even get into the conversation about Wilt Chamberlain is, is to me, one of the most remarkable things ever. I never looked at our record book, you know, for over, you know, 15 years because I knew what it was going to say, you know, most rebounds will, most points will, you know, that kind of thing. And so, uh, so now, you know, he's rewriting the Warriors record book and I never thought I'd see that. Uh, right now, the Warriors are three to one, three and one on this current road trip with Washington tomorrow night. Uh, having said that, they're the only team in the top 10 in the West that has a losing record on the road. Yeah, you know, it's been, a, it's been an up-and-down year for them, and they're playing their best basketball of the season right now, despite the fact that they, they have injuries. You know, not, they don't have James Wiseman for the rest of the year, and we know that 
you know, Clay Thompson has been out two years in a row, but, but they found something with this small lineup and they're playing better. And, and I, I can't tell you that, that the, the amount of games that they've had that they should have won. And there, there's been about four or five on the road where they were in the game and, you know, had turnovers or in Charlotte, Draymond has a little bit of a, a situation and gets, gets teed up and, and they lose that game. They've lost a lot of winnable games this year. I think they're a little better than their record. I don't think they're, you know, an elite team, but right now they're playing at an elite level and they're a good defensive team. So I, I think they've got a chance to move up. Their schedule was really uh, front-loaded against the better teams, and now their schedule's a little bit easier, and they're starting to you know pick off some wins. Uh, I remember when I was doing the New Jersey Nets games, and we went down to Charlotte, and I stopped Del Curry before the game and asked him for an interview, which he granted. And, and I asked him, I said, are you the best three-point shooter in the NBA? He said no, without even hesitating. And I said, well, who is? Reggie Miller? Mark Price, who's the best three-point shooter in the league? He looked over at the Nets bench. He said, that guy right there. He was pointing at Drazen Petrovic. And I said, well, I said, okay, I'll yield to you. You're the, you're the expert. I, I take, had he put his own son in this conversation today, there is no discussion. Right. And, you know, and, and Drazen and Steph had, had uh, one thing in common in terms of three-point shooting is that unlike – say, Kyle Korver or, you know, a Reggie Miller or somebody like that, that, that they can get their three-point shot off the dribble. And uh, and that, that, to me, is what separates Steph. That's why I think he's the best shooter of all time. Not only is he an, a great catch-and-shoot three-point shooter or jump shooter, he's also a great shooter off the dribble, and he creates his own shots by, by using his ball handling. And, you know, the, the difference... I think this year than in past years is that he's come he's come back stronger, bigger. And so now he can take that drive to the rim, take the contact, take the, the bouncing off the floor a lot better than what he did in years gone by. And that just makes him an even more difficult player to guard because now, you know, in the past you might be able to get him to, to drive a little bit and get some help over there, but now it seems like he's figured all that out. I know that at some point, you know, there'll be the voting for the MVP, uh, coach of the year, and so on. But if there's a, a category for the most entertaining player of the year, Steph Curry wins it hands down. Yeah, you know, that, that's the, the, the dream I have is that he is, he is so entertaining. Every night you have to be ready because he's going to take off at some point and you just have to be ready for that run. And so, um, you know, when he, when he does that, you just kind of hang on for the ride. And, and that was the other part during their five-year championship run was you not only had Steph, but you had Clay. You know, and then when Clay was off, it was like, you know, he would be unconscious for five minutes at a time, and then all of a sudden he's got, like, you know, a 20-point quarter going. And, um, and that was the thing last night. I mean, he had a 20-point fourth quarter, and he didn't get into the fourth quarter until, like, six minutes and change. Yeah. <laughs> he just came in and just dominated that fourth quarter, you know. And and I know that you know a lot of people look at him and oh he's not uh, this or that. He's not you know he's not LeBron James. He's not that. But but he does it in a different way. He dominates in a different way. He uh, you know the win over the Seventy <clears throat> Sixers last night not surprising to me. Uh, obviously they didn't have Harris. They didn't have um, 
Oh, I just went blank. Uh, their point guard. Ben Simmons. Simmons. Ben Simmons. They, they, they didn't have Simmons. Simmons. Yep. But but that aside, look, Joel Embiid is uh, everything revolves around him, and it's almost like I'm sitting there and I watch games and I say to myself, well, what would I do as a coach? And what I would do as a coach is let Embiid shoot from the outside because where he creates havoc is in the low post because he's either going to get a layup, a dunk, or he's going to get to the foul line. And he's a good free throw shooter, so you don't want him there. But, uh, you know, the, I thought the Warriors played him very well last night. Yeah, he got, he's going to get his, but just keep everybody else intact. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, we were a little surprised to, uh, on our broadcast, myself and Jim Barnett, that in the fourth quarter, MB didn't go down to the box. He kind of stayed at the foul line. But because uh, he is, he's leading the league in post-ups this year, and he's very good at that. He's not shooting as many threes as he's done in the past. And I think he's he's just a devastating scorer down below. I will say one thing about them not having Harris and Simmons is that, you know, uh, nobody feels sorry for anybody about injuries. I mean, especially the Warriors. You know, yeah. They haven't had Clay Thompson for two years. And, and you know, losing Wiseman, that's just part of the deal. You know, that's why, you know, in the, in the finals, you know, Warrior fans might come to me sometimes and say, well, if uh, the Warriors were healthy and, and, you know, against Toronto, they would have won that series. Well, that could be, but that's all. That's all part of, you know, sports is that, you know, sometimes, you know, the best ability is availability. And, and you know, every team goes through injuries and you just have to figure it out. And hopefully you don't get them at the wrong time. And if you do, well, that's just, just the way it is. They uh, they got production from Wiggins last night who had a double-double. Uh, Looney got double-digit rebounding last night. But is this bench uh, deep enough going forward and if they should be fortunate enough to make the postseason yeah you know it's, it's interesting um i think if they get Juan toscano anderson back i think that that steve if he gets to a playoff situation might be looking at shortening his rotation and going with like eight maybe nine guys and if that's the case i think they have a chance to uh to have a productive unit now they they're not going to be big because they've, you know, with Pascal out and with Wiseman out, they don't have bigs, you know, coming off the bench. So uh, they'll have to go small ball. But uh, but I think I, I think they'll have enough for a shortened rotation in a playoff series. I don't think they have the depth that they've had in years gone by. And you know, this this was a very difficult year to uh, really. Uh, get your young players to progress because of the pandemic. You didn't have the summer league. You didn't have, you know, the type of workouts you would have wanted, you know, before a season started. So uh, I think they're they might be a year away from having that kind of depth to uh, you know come off the bench and, and really have a, a great rotation. I think they can do it with with lesser numbers though. Well, the way I look at it, he's Tim Roy, the voice of the Golden State Warriors. The way I look at this Warrior team is look. They they had their way with the NBA for three years, uh, and now people are looking and saying, "Oh well, okay, they they won. Now they're getting uh, they're getting their hat handed to them." I said, "Wait a minute." I had this discussion with a guy the other day, who uh, I said, "You're just jealous of what the Warriors accomplished." He goes, "Yeah, maybe." The fact of the matter is, no Clay Thompson from the beginning of the year. You knew you weren't going to have him, and so Steve Kerr psychologically is saying to himself, "Okay, let's do the best we can," but. I think that the Warriors have actually exceeded expectations. You know, in, in a way they have, I think they would say no, just because of what I had mentioned earlier, that they were, uh, they feel they should be about four or five games ahead of where they are because they've let games slip away. 
Um, but but I think I, I think they they're kind of right where they you know really should be at this point. I think they're they're uh, you know a 500 team because of, they don't have that kind of depth that they've had in the past, and they don't have that you know second big time scorer alongside Steph. Wiggins can be that guy on on nights, and he's incredibly consistent. He's just not flamboyant or you know fantastic at times, but but um, you know I, I think uh, I, I think they're doing okay. I don't think they, they've had the, the kind of year they would have liked, but I think they're playing their best basketball right now, and this is a good time to do it. It's a good time to get together, and I think they're much better. And, and the other thing that people don't realize is that they're much better defensively than people think. Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers say it. They contest shots, which is you know that's half the battle in the league is getting guys to get out and and you know buy in and 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 make that effort. If you just do that, you're going to be a better defensive team. And they've had that you know since really after the first maybe two weeks of the season, they've been a really good defensive team. I mentioned to you before about uh, Steph Curry getting the most entertaining player of the year award. Uh, not only last night's game that, that was that was a treat, but. Go back a couple of days to when they played Boston. And the way that Curry and Jason Tatum were going shot for shot. I mean, I got to tell you, I don't have a horse in the race, Tim. It doesn't make a difference. I just want to see a good game. I'm sitting there enjoying the hell out of this to where every time the Warriors are on television, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, you know, it, it, if you don't, if you watch that game and say, I don't like the NBA, then there's something wrong with you yeah. because that was a great game. And, and that's, you know, that's why you and I got into sports casting because of games like that. And, and it's really been uh, a treat to watch Steph. And then you get Tatum doing what he was doing. And I, I think he has taken that step this year. He's taken that to another level. And they're, they're a team that really has had a similar season to the Warriors, except they're a few games ahead of them. I don't think they've had the, the winnable games that they've let get away that the Warriors have had, but but uh, t- you know they're they have kind of a 500 team all year long, and now they're playing their best basketball. So I I think there's a lot of similarities between the two teams, but uh, that that game that was that was incredible, and uh, you know it was dramatic. It had uh, flows. It had two stars going back and forth. Neither one you know giving in to the other, and and it, it had to. Everything you would have wanted, except if you're a Warrior fan, you would have wanted to win. But, you know, in, in this case, it, it just was a great game. I came away from that game saying, wow, this is, this is why I love what I do. Hey, Tim, uh, handicap the West for me, if you will. I mean, Utah's playing great ball. They've slipped a little lately, but Phoenix is still playing at a high level. Um, not surprising. I thought they were going to make the most improvement of any team in the West, uh, and they have. And right now they're sitting just a game in the loss column behind Utah. I don't know if they'll catch him or not. We'll see. But the Clippers are starting to play much better basketball. Uh, Denver loses Jamal Murray, which is a huge loss for them because I, I thought they were going to – they still may finish fourth. But everybody's got an eye towards the Lakers, right? Uh, when, when Anthony Davis comes back, when LeBron James comes back, can the Lakers hold on to the fifth spot? They only got a game in the loss column ahead of Portland and three ahead of Dallas. But you and I both know, Tim, that if they get those two guys healthy, they're going to be a tough out wherever they finish in the West in terms of, uh, right. of keeping them from winning another title. Yeah, that, that to, to me is, the, um, is uh, the, the, the question is for, for their run is, is health. 
you know, if they get, you know, those guys back, then I think they're, they're a team that to be feared, a team to beat. I think the Clippers have one thing going for them that maybe the other teams don't, and that is that I think in their minds they feel they have unfinished business, that they did not have the postseason they would have wanted last year. And you could tell there were some chemistry issues with them in the bubble. I think they've, they've gotten those resolved this year. Um, you know, I like the fact that they've, they've added Rondo. Um, so I, I, I think, I think the Clippers are a team that has a chip on their shoulder that sometimes you need to go far in the playoffs. I think it's going to be really tough for Denver. I felt heartbroken for them. You know, they, Jamal got hurt in a game against the Warriors and it was late in the game and nobody touched him. And it's just, uh, I just hope he gets back because he, you talk about, you know, Steph Curry being the most entertaining player in the league. Well, Jamal Murray is, you know, he's below Steph in that regard, but he's not far below. He's he can be really fun to watch and was great last year in the bubble. So I think it's going to be tough for Denver. Phoenix is to me the, the, and, and Utah are the two teams I'm, I'm real curious to see how they do in the postseason because uh, one team, Utah, has continuity. They've had guys who have been together for years. Uh, Phoenix does not. They've had a team. They, they've got a couple of guys who have been there for year, Aiton and Booker, but they have a lot of new pieces there. Uh, so and both teams are coached by guys that prize defense. So I'm curious to see how they do in the postseason. And if, if Utah's hitting threes, they're going to be very difficult to stop. I don't know if they have the physicality to match up with the Clippers or Lakers in a seven-game series. I think that's yet to be determined. But, uh, man, when their offense gets going, they are difficult to stop. Well, Utah's also got uh, unfinished business. They get they, they lead yeah. Denver last year three games to one and blow it. Clippers, same thing. Denver, again, the common opponent. They, they After trailing three games to one, they beat them both. So Utah's got unfinished business as well. But with, with Phoenix, my only concern, Tim, is that until you're there, you don't really know what it feels like. And this is a young group, uh, although – and Chris Paul, you've got the veteran guy that's keeping them all together. They haven't been here. They haven't been in the bright lights, the big stage, yet because they're so young. And I'll be curious to see how they respond to that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. There is, there's, there's definitely a learning curve. And, you know, what people forget about the, the Warriors is they had uh, three playoff series before – they had their unbelievable year in 14-15. You know, they, had, they had upset Denver in uh, 2013 and then gave the Spurs everything they could handle. And that's when we kind of looked around and said, okay, this team's going to be pretty good here. When they went into San Antonio and should have left San Antonio up 2-0, but left with a split and ended up losing in six games. But then the following year in the, uh, the crazy series with the Clippers where you had all the stuff about ownership and, and everything else and possible boycott of a game and it was a just a, a surreal series and they lose that one so they when they got to 14-15 and were really good and Steve Curry came in as head coach and and you know Draymond had emerged as Draymond and and so they were ready for that playoff run because they had been tested before they knew what to expect and, and there's a definite learning curve a lot of times you'll see a team that's really good and they bounced out in the second round of a playoff series, and then the next year they come back, and now they're ready because they understand what's, what's going to happen. And so uh, uh, it would be interesting to see how the, the young players on Phoenix, the ones who haven't been through that grind, react alongside Chris Paul, who's been in the grind many times. 
Oh, because he's probably sold everybody State Farm Insurance. Exactly. Exactly. Well done. Well done. Tie in the sponsor. <laughs> Before I let you go, uh, fans coming to the Warriors game a limited amount. Yep, starting Friday with the first home game after this road trip. Uh, there'll be fans in the stands for the game against Denver. Uh, can't wait. I can't wait to feel that energy. That's the one thing it's been. You know, as a broadcaster, selfishly, it's been sort of a, a clinical year. You know, you're, you're doing like last night. I go into San Francisco. I do the game off a monitor. You know, you hear the effects. You hear some of the noise, but it's not like like it when it you know rolls over you in a wave. And so I'm looking forward to that feeling again. And and I think over time they'll be able to gradually ramp up. And I think the, one of the keys for for all all the venues is. You know, when they, if they can get people into the vaccinated areas, you know, where if you show your vaccination card, you're good to go in a certain section. I think that's going to be, that's going to be the key, I think, to all this is being, getting people vaccinated so that you can bring in more people and put the vaccinated people in different areas. And, uh, but everybody will be tested. It's going to be safe. It's going to be fun. And I, I just can't wait. Well, good luck to the Warriors. Steve Kerr is one of my favorite guys. I wish him well. He's a, he's a good guy in, in, in a lot of ways, as you well know. But the times that I've crossed his path, we've always had great conversations. So I kind of root for him. And I, and Steph Curry, to me, man, what, I just, I, he just, he, I just, I'm at a loss for words, as you could tell. But, but I just, yeah. I sit there and I watch this guy, and you watch him every night. And as I said at the beginning of this interview, man, I'm, I'm jealous of you. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm in an unbelievable spot. I'll never have him. Uh years like this again i keep telling our fans you have to savor every second of steph curry because when it's gone it's going to be gone and but for right now you just have to kind of sit there and and savor every moment because it's truly unique and it's special and it's it's not going to come our way again in our lifetimes well you know after he's done with basketball he'll probably go on the pga tour yeah i think the senior tour i think that's going to be his spot i think he'll make the senior tour at some point so all things are possible with Steph. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate your time, and you stay safe. You too, sir. Sir? I was a staff sergeant in the Air Force. Not to call me, sir. That kid, Curry, my wife says, well, he seems like he's a snob. And I said, well, wait a minute. He's confident, and I think there's a difference. Anybody who thinks the NBA is boring, you don't see enough of Steve, Steph Curry. Fabulous player. Fabulous performer. Thank you for being a part of the Bite of the Big Apple and Howard David Live. You folks stay safe. Thanks for being a part of the show.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.